Good morning, people. Church, Pastor Gary did an amazing job there. Short and sweet like he is. Well, he's kind of tall. <laughs> Turn in your Bible, if you will, to Matthew chapter 17 this morning. As we see how the ministry of the rejected king continues continues to show us the changes that have now taken place, as I've shared with you, that we are now in that place that Jesus shared with us a few weeks ago, that things were about to change. And he has taken his disciples away from everything and everybody to explain these changes to them, preparing them for what was ahead. Even as Pastor Gary was sharing just a while ago, he was headed to Jerusalem, he was headed for the cross. The chapter break... It's quite unfortunate here in the Gospel of Matthew, given the fact that it left us last week with a cliffhanger. Um, whereas the other two Gospels that share this same story include the last verse of the last chapter into their story. And so, um, be that as it may, we, we will read verse 28 and uh, the last chapter, and pretend that the break never happened. Um, or I could just read it to you from the other chapters, or from the other Gospels, uh, and, and you guys would never know. But you'd be thinking, why is he going out of Mark this morning, or Luke? So I had to explain to you, there was a break here. So, verse 28 of the previous chapter of what we looked at last week, as we go right into verse uh, 1 of 17. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up to a high, on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with, them, with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you and one for Elijah, or one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, and they were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell, this, tell the vision to no one till the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the, the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come, has come already. And they did not know him, 
but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, a son of man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Jesus, please help me as I share this portion of Scripture, Lord, and help my brothers and sisters to have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go back to verse 28, just for a second, just for a little time, where, where, where he spoke to them, again, as he's finishing up this conversation, and as he's starting this next conversation, in verse 28, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, some standing here shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's keep in mind, again, if you've been with us, if not, you can go back and listen to some of the studies, but let's keep in mind where they are at, where this is taking place. They are in Caesarea Philippi. They are on the far northern part of Israel. They are at the base of Mount Hermon. And so he has just said something to them that, is, that has just blown their minds. He had just finished talking about his death. He had, he had just finished rebuking Peter for not having the mind of God, for not being mindful of the things of God. And then he tells them, if you desired, if, if they desired, resolved, determined, or purposed to come or, and follow after him, they must deny utterly i.e. disown, abstain, absolve, free, liberate themselves of self. And the only reason that they could do that was to die. Oh, and by the way, there are some of you standing here that will not taste death. They see the Son of, of Man coming in His kingdom. You could imagine their heads are spinning at this point going, What are you talking about? You talk about death. Peter's going, no, you're not going to die. He says, man, if you want to follow me, you're going to die. But there's some of you standing here who are not going to die until they see the king. And you're going, I don't get it. <laughs> Again, we, we look back and we see the whole story. We read the whole story. We've read the whole story. These guys are in the moment, man. These guys are going, I don't get it. Do you get it? No, I don't get it either. There's been a lot going on on this road trip that these guys have taken with Jesus, man. There's a lot that, have hap that has happened. And again, he's had to take them away from everybody and everything so he could prepare them for what's coming ahead. And it's not over yet, as we just read. It's not over. The adventures continue because it is never a dull moment with Jesus. And I know some people is like, the eh, Bible's kind of boring. It's like, no, it's not. You're boring. <laughs> man, oh man. This is exciting. This is amazing. When you're on a road trip with Jesus, it is never, ever boring. I mean, I, I don't have the most exciting life, but I think I have the most exciting life. You guys might think it's like, you're a dull man. It's like, yeah, you might say that. But my adventure with Jesus has not been boring. Not one bit, man. <laughs> I continue to be excited about this road trip that I'm on with Jesus. And I hope you do too, man. Because again, there's so much. And today, even what we're, we're studying, is just blow your mind as to what Jesus is doing at this place and what they're going to be seeing. Because in verse 1, he says, After six days, 
Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Now, this is interesting with, with Matthew here, because Matthew, he, and I've shared this with you, in the Gospel of Matthew, he doesn't go chronological. You know, he, he's not always chronological, and rarely does he ever give dates or times, and, and, and yet, you know, here he does. He's not always that precise, and for some reason he says, and after six days. So he was counting down, and, and the other guys, they kind of talk about six days, and, and Luke actually talks about eight days, because you're going, eight days, how'd you get? But he, he was talking about the finish of one day and the start of the other day, and it was eight days altogether. So he takes, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. These three guys, these guys were considered by many and are considered by many to be the inner circle with Jesus, you know, that, that, that he had the three, he had the 12, he had the 70, he had the 120, he had the multitudes, you know, these guys are, are, are the inner circle with Jesus, you know, and, and it just seems like they're the closest one to him. But I heard one pastor say a long time ago, and I'll never forget it. It's like, no, these were the three that he had to keep the, his eye on the most, <laughs> which is interesting, man. It's like all three of them, the sons of thunder, saying, should we just call it fire down from heaven? It's like, no, right now, guys. You know, they're the ones that were always arguing, being on the right hand and left hand, you know, stuff like that. And Peter, well, you know Peter. We've gotten to know Pete, you know. It's so interesting because I could almost guarantee you he left in charge the others with probably Judas Iscariot. He was the most trusted guy that they had. <laughs> he, would be, he would be the one that backstabs him. Interesting fact. Anyways, let's move along. So here he takes these three guys with him. And I can almost guarantee you that Peter is probably a little nervous here. He has not had a, a good few weeks. <laughs> he has been up and down, in and out. And, and it's almost as if, man, he's going, oh, gosh, now he's taking me along with these other two guys, you know. They were probably, I, they, it's, it's believed that they were partners in, in business and all that stuff. Um, so you can imagine there might be even some tension going on there. Anyways, he led them up to a high mountain. Now, we are never told which mountain it is, but what we can surmise from our text and where we've been at is that they have been at the base of, the Mount, of Mount Hermon, where Caesarea Philippi is, and you see the, the whole picture that's taking place there. And so it is quite possible that that is the mountain that he led them up to. Mount Hermon summits at 9,232 feet above sea level. And where they are at now in Caesarea Philippi is about 1,550 feet above sea level. And so it's quite a little hike. I'm not a hiker. But that just seems like a lot of thousands of feet that way, <laughs> you, know? you know? It's like, nah, I'll stay behind with the other guys. But man, oh man, these guys, man, are in for it, man. Because they take this hike up that, that, that would lead them, and again, I don't know how long it, it takes to go from, from this level to that level. I don't know the terrain. But they make their way up, and when they got there, it says, and he transfigured before them, or before, their, before them, it, it, he transfigures, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Again, put yourself in their shoes. 
their sandals, if you will. They have no clue what is about to happen. Again, we've known this story. If you've been walking with Jesus and read his word, you probably know this story. Maybe if you don't know Jesus, you've probably heard about these mountaintop experiences or, or Jesus being transfigured. Maybe you've heard about that. These guys have no clue what is about to happen. He, Jesus doesn't say, hey, we're going up there and you're in for it. He doesn't say, hey, you're going up there, man. It's going to blow your mind. He doesn't say anything. He said, hey, you three. Let's go up to the mountain. Now, I don't know if they got there and they got to rest and catch their breath. I know I would need to. I don't know that as soon as they got there, all of this started happening. But Luke's gospel does give us a little clue. And it tells us that Peter and those with them were heavy with sleep. So it's quite possible that they got there and Jesus went off to pray. And whenever Jesus went off to pray, these guys took a nap. Uh, it just kind of <laughs> happens that way, you know. Um, and, and, and so Jesus is out praying. And when they woke up, this is happening before their eyes, you know. And again, you could imagine waking up if it's just you going, okay, this is a dream right now. But it's three of you guys going, you seen what I've seen? Are we all in the same dream? You know, how is this happening right now, right? And so, so again, it says that, that, that they were all waking up to this. But be that as it may, Jesus is or was transfigured before them. Which means that these three guys, these three disciples were the ones that will not see death until they saw the kingdom of God present with power, as it says in Mark's gospel. When Jesus said in verse 28, there's some of you guys here who will not see death till they see the kingdom of God or, or the kingdom of heaven. These were those three guys that would not see it. It's interesting because John, the Apostle John, would later on write the book of Revelation and he would see the final picture, all of it. He would see everything that would happen in the future. But these three guys, they're in this moment right now and they are actually seeing Jesus in his natural state. They are seeing Jesus before he was made a little lower than the angels and put on human flesh. They are seeing Jesus the way he was before. They were seeing Jesus the way he will be after all of, this, all of this is over. They're seeing him glorified. He has just transformed in, in, in front of them or transfigured in front of them. They saw a metamorphosis take place right before them, right before their very eyes. They see this happening in their, in, in, in their lives right now. The word transfigured is metamorphos in the Greek. To, to transform literally or figuratively metamorphos. To change into another form. In regards to Christ, his appearance was changed, i.e. was resplendent with a divine brightness. All of that means there was a metamorphosis that took place right before their eyes. Now this didn't happen from the outside in. It was happening from the inside out. 
In other words, Jesus, who Jesus was, was coming out. And, and as I'm studying that, I, I just, again, my mind just goes all over the place as I'm studying and thinking about all this stuff. That, that, that again, it's almost like, like this, you know, just opening up. It's like you see that big old S in, on, on, uh, on Superman. It's like, oh, you're Superman. You know, I don't know how they can't tell. Just the glasses makes a big difference. But be that as it may. But, but again, all, all of a sudden, who Jesus really is, is coming out of, of, of who, what they've known of him in the, in the physical sense. All of a sudden, they're seeing something that they have never, ever seen before. His glory is not reflected, but it's radiating from within. It's not coming this way. It's coming this way. It's coming out of him somehow, some way. It, it, it is doing that <laughs> there is a change on the outside but it's coming from within and he is allowing his his glory to shine forth in front of these human beings <laughs> that are standing before him now we we don't normally use the word transfigured when we talk about the change that has happened in our life we use the word transformed, and it's the same word in the Greek. Transfigured, transform are synonymous with each other. And we know, or we should know, <laughs> that when a transformation takes place in our lives, it's something that has started from the inside. In other words, you cannot go, oh, I am a Christian because I'm starting to look like one on the outside and eventually it'll go inside. It's like, that's not the case. That's not the way it works. It's something that has to be birthed inside of us, first and foremost. Something has to happen inside before it is, it is ever let out. And when it is birthed inside, then Jesus is radiated this way from within. Again, we can't make ourselves look like a Christian. Again, I look around, it's like, none of you guys look like Christians. <laughs> but then again, what does, a chill, what does a Christian look like? Oh, oh, our society can tell you, oh, there's a certain way Christians look. It's like, no, I'm sorry. Because we are Christians, and, and, and it starts from within. It doesn't, outwardly, it doesn't look like that. It, we, we, we are born... <laughs> Sinners. What is inside of us is, is, is we're sinners. And, and, and there has to be this new birth that happens on the inside. And I know that some people would say, oh, the real you is on the inside. You know, everybody deep down inside is a good person. It's like, no, you're not. If you don't have Jesus deep down inside in your heart, the real you is a dirty, rotten sinner. And, and, and when people say, oh, just look on your inside, it's like, mm, no, I've seen that. The Bible tells me how bad it is. And so I know what's in And without Jesus, it's horrible. It's, it, it's ugly. It's perverted. It's all those things inside without Jesus. But with Jesus inside, then and only then can that righteousness be expelled out, radiated out. But it's not my righteousness, it's Jesus's righteousness in me. 
It says that his face shone like the sun. And we can understand that. We can understand the brightness of the sun. It's hard to top the brightness of the sun. That's why we tell people, don't look at the sun. You can't. It blinds you. It's not good for you. Don't play games telling your, you know, your friends. Maybe when you were a kid, it's like, no, let's have a contest. Let's see who can look at the It's like, you're not supposed to do that because it's so bright. And yet, his face shone like the sun. And as far as his clothing, Matthew says that it was white as light. And again, probably referring to the sun because he could not go any brighter than that. But yet Mark's gospel tells us in Mark 9.3, his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. That's how bright his clothing was. His, his glory, the glory that came forth from Jesus somehow came, came out of his clothing, however that was. It was something that Mark, again, Mark tries to explain it a little better, but there's no, no way that you can truly explain how bright his clothes had become. Now, back in the day, I mean, I, my, my job as a, as, you know, when I used to work, not that I don't work now, when I used to work, um, I was a pool plasterer, and we worked with, with white plaster. And when you're down in a hole, in a pool, and the white plaster, and you're trawling, and, and you're looking up, and, and if the sun was just in the right place, man, it would blind you. Because you're looking at it, and you're trawling. I mean, most of my pools, I, I did it with my eyes closed. You know, <laughs> poor guys. You know, because it was just so bright. And some of you, you know, you, you've seen the, the snow up here. You can get snow blinded, you know. It, it can be so bright. And, and, and to us, it's like, man, we can't, we can't look at it, at, at it because it's so, so bright. And so you can imagine what's happening here. They're trying to explain it to us that, man, oh, man, he was bright like the sun. And I truly believe that it was just a different dimension. That, that, that whatever they were trying to describe was something that we could understand because I believe it was totally out of our league to try to comprehend and understand what that brightness, that glory looks like. I, I think even the Word of God, when, when we have a description of heaven, it gives us a description that you and I can maybe relate to. But I totally believe that heaven and on that side of death, it is a totally different dimension that we will not quite comprehend except try to, to understand it in, in the physical realm. I just think that, man, as they're looking at this transformation or transfiguration happening, it is beyond what they have ever seen. It was something that was out of their league. And it says in verse 3, and, Moses, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking to him. They're talking to Jesus. Now, this should reveal to us that there is life beyond the grave. Okay? Th this particular portion of Scripture, it blows my mind. It blows my mind because here there's life beyond the grave. There is a living hope that we have 
because of, of what we read here. And it's interesting because Peter, he writes this in his first epistle, in his first chapter, where he says that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a living hope, an inheritance that, that, that does not fade away. It, it, it's incorruptible, it, it's, it's, it's uh, undefiled, and, and it never fades away, it never gets old. It's kept by the power of God and it is reserved in heaven for you and I, for the believer. And so again, Peter is writing that because he's experienced that. And so he understands because at this time where this is taking place and Moses and Elijah are appearing before them, Moses has been gone from from the earth for 1,500 years. He's been gone. Elijah, at this point, has been gone from the earth at least 700 years. And somehow, somehow these guys knew who those two guys were. I don't know, I, I don't know if they introduced themselves to each other. I don't know, it's like, hey, I'm Moses, I'm Elijah. It's like, you're who? I, I, I don't know. Or if they just knew who they were. Because they were catching a glimpse of glory and we shall know even as we are known in that time frame. I don't know. Or they may, may, maybe they had badges that said, hello, I'm Moses. <laughs> hello, I'm Elijah. I don't know. But they knew who they were. So this just goes to show us that for as long as these two guys have been away from the earth, they were active somewhere and doing something. Something was happening because they showed up, and I'm sure they, they didn't look any older than 300 years. <laughs> they, 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 they were like, because Moses died at about 120. And he probably looked way better than anybody now would look at 120. But, but Elijah, he was probably in his, in his late 50s, maybe, when he left. And so these guys look amazing still. Now Moses can and does represent the law, and Elijah does and can represent the prophets. But both of these men are in their glorified bodies. They are not in their regular bodies that they had here on earth. They are, they are in this glorified realm. And, and Jesus has transfigured in front of them. And it is possible that, that they also represent those who have died or before the rapture because Moses did die. Nobody found his body. It says that God buried him on, on a mount, I think, closer to Moab. And it's quite possible that Elijah, he represents those who would be raptured. Because if you know the story, uh, Elijah never saw death. But he was caught up. He was caught away on a chariot of fire with horses on fire. It says that they're talking to him. What did they talk to him about? Well, Luke gives us an idea because in Luke chapter 9, verses 30 and 31, he says, Behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. 
Luke uses the word decease, which is the Greek word exodos, where we get our word exodus from, meaning to exit, i.e. figuratively death, departing. Moses and Elijah talked with Jesus about his death, about his departure, about his exodus from this place. And he would be accomplishing that in Jerusalem. You see, Jesus' suffering and his death was no accident. It was an accomplishment. And it's interesting because, again, Peter, in his epistles, and I would encourage you, after we learn about Peter, what a knucklehead he could be, read his letters. Because man, oh man, he preaches it and shares it with conviction because he saw it all. And he says this, In 2 Peter 1, uh, 12 to 14. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established of the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, Just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter uses that same word, decease, after my exodus. He he refers about his impending death that that is coming up. And he says, it's my departure. It's my exodus out of this place. And he uses the word tent for his body, which, which also is translated tabernacle or booth. Something that would be temporary here. This, this tent will deflate when I exit, when I depart from it, is what he's saying. These were temporary dwellings. Peter saw these two men who had temporary dwellings and they are very much alive at this point. They're glorified, it says. In verse 4 it says, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, again, I know that Peter always gets a bum rap. Talking when he shouldn't be talking because he suffered from foot and mouth disease. Most men have that. Um, um, Some of you women do too. But it's mostly a male thing. But this is one of those cases. It's interesting because Psalms 46 10 says, be still and know that I am God. And this time that they are having here was one of those holy times, one of those glorious moments that no words were needed. (laughs) And Peter thought, i got to say something. (laughs) It is good for us to be here. And that's true. It was good for Peter, James, and John to be there because they got to see something that no one else would ever get to see. No one else. 
would ever get to see this. And they could have just sat there and drank it all in, man, going, this is amazing. I can't wait to go down there and tell everybody about what we just saw. Man, it's going to be epic. And guys, it is good for us to be in holy places. It is good for us to have holy times where no words are needed at times to just bask in His presence. I think sometimes during our worship time it is so good just to be quiet. It's hard for me to do that, but to be quiet and just bask in His presence. And there's times that it's like, man, let's just change it up and let's just have worship at the end after hearing His word. Let's just bask in His presence. It's good for us to, to have those kinds of times. And here, here, here are some things that we should all keep in mind, especially me, because I talk a lot. I don't know if you know that. I like to talk. But it says, there's a few little sayings that I've heard. It says, it is better to, be, to keep silent and have people think you're a fool than to talk and remove all doubt. <laughs> right? It says, God, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Use them accordingly. In Proverbs 17, 28, it says, he puts it this way, even a fool is considered wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. You see, this was a time that Peter should have just like zipped it, been quiet. You see, Peter wasn't even in the conversation that was taking place. He just kind of butted in. Nobody had asked for his two cents here, man. As we're seeing that, that, that Moses and Elijah are, are, are talking to Jesus, again, bask in it. Take it all in. Look at what's going on. <laughs> the first part was good. The second part was not. <laughs> he should have just stopped. And I could imagine Jesus just going like, zip it. Shh, shh, shh. <laughs> And even though the second part sounds like, and you might think, well, what's wrong with wanting to have a little dwelling place for each one of them? And again, this was one of those mountaintop experiences that was going to be an amazing time, a great time. But what, Peter had, what happened with Peter, he had forgotten last week's lesson. The cross would be avoided if they stayed where they were at. And that's what he's saying. In essence, Peter's saying, hey, let's just stay here forever, man. Let everybody else perish that's down there. That's what, basically what he's saying. Let's not go down there. Let's not go over there. You see, Peter's only thinking of himself and not others. But who can blame him? He's experiencing glory right now. It's like those people who die and they bring them back and they go like, why'd you bring me back? I was like headed that way, you know. I was, the light was right there. I was going towards the light. And you brought me back and now I've got to see your face again. <laughs> you know, and that's why he's like, man, do not resuscitate, man. Go for it. It's better on that side. And, 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 and Peter is experiencing glory. And he's saying, let's not go back down there because there's pain and there's suffering and there's death down there. But me, Peter was, was missing out that that's what Jesus came for. For the pain and suffering like what we just experienced with communion. Remembering that's why we are here. That's why we have salvation. 
as far as these three tabernacles, tents, or booths. He, he, he almost wanted to make them permanent, even though they weren't supposed to be permanent. And what he was doing here, he, he was honoring all three of them on the same level. That's a big no-no, man. That's why the second part was no good. First part, it's good for us to be here. Yes, be quiet, shut up. Just worship, bask in it. Second part is like, no, don't do that. I'm sure his intentions might have been purely innocent, these were great servants of God, but they cannot and they should not be put on the same level as Jesus. And that's what he was trying to get across. Let's do it all right here for you guys. In trying to honor servants, whether they're prophets, apostles, angels, saints, it is a dishonor to Jesus to even elevate them above what they should. Now Mark's gospel tells us that Peter said this because he did not know what to say, for they were afraid. Luke's gospel uh, puts it this way, not knowing what he said. He didn't know what he said there. Which indicates that he should not have said a word. He should have just kept it quiet and basked in the glory. In verses 5 through, through 8, it says, And while he was still speaking... A bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. It seems that Peter <laughs> had not even finished talking, and God interrupts him. God the Father interrupts him, probably saying, Peter, before you put more of that foot in your mouth, let me stop you right there. Let me just stop you before you go any further and you're going to regret what you just said. It was Jesus whom the Father wanted to honor and no one else. And, Jesus, and, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Hear Him. And, and Peter would never, ever forget this interruption ever in his life. This is what he writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory such as a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark places till the day dawns and the morning star arises in our hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. A prophet, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter would never forget that voice. And he wrote about it saying, no, guys, we were eyewitnesses of it. Because when they heard it, they fell on their faces, it says. These three disciples were never the same after that. 
Oh, they, they weren't perfect by any means, but they were never the same. They heard the voice of God the Father, and they could never be the same after that. What they heard would carry them through the rest of their lives, especially after the Holy Spirit came upon them and began to use them with power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, they were going to go forth. And each of them would, would, would need to understand this important truth that was revealed to him, what, you know, to, to hear him and to do what he commanded them to do. And all of them would end up dying for that. Because James would be the first disciple, the first one to die out of all of them. The book of James is not his book. That's Jesus' brother. He died before that. He was the first disciple to, to die. His brother John would be the last one to die. But he would suffer immensely on the island of Patmos. And Peter, well, Peter, man, he suffered and he did a lot of things and he got to experience a lot of things. But he would give his life for Christ at the end. Why? Because they heard the living God. They've seen Jesus glorified. They experienced the Holy Spirit come upon them and they could never be the same. It says Jesus came to them and touched them and raised them and, and, and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Again, man, these guys that hit the floor, man. Their heads were spinning. After hearing the voice of God, I'm sure they ended up realizing that Jesus sounds a lot like his father. Whoa, man. Very like his father. And I'm sure they received comfort when Jesus raised them up. And when they had lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Only Jesus was there. No one else. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's not about anybody else. Oh, God uses servants. God uses prophets. God uses all these people. But Jesus is the only one. No one else. He is the only one to be honored in our life. Everybody else will fail. Everybody else will leave. But Jesus will always be there. And when the smoke clears, Jesus is always there. And as they start heading down in verse 9, and when they came down, Jesus says, tell the vision to no one till the Son of Man is risen from the dead. It's like, what? How are we going to keep this in? But they did. They truly did. Again, they're probably thinking nobody would believe this. But we just got to experience. Hmm. Don't make it known. It wasn't time for that. As many times as Jesus told them about being raised from the dead, they never quite got it. They never quite got it. Why? Because they had no clue. It's not like something, somebody raised from the dead every day. It, 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 that was abnormal. You know, we, we see it because we see the whole story. We go back. Those guys are living in the moment. And Mark, Mark tells us in his gospel, 9.10, it says, So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising of the dead meant. It's like they could not capture that. And then verses 10 through 13. 
They, they asked him, why, why, why do the, the, the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Why is that? And Malachi tells us, Malachi 3.1, it talks about how he would send a messenger before. And at the, the very last two verses of the Old Testament, it speaks about uh, John, or John the Baptist or, or Elijah. It says, Behold, I am sending you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of their fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the father, lest I come and strike you with a curse. And he was speaking about Elijah. The scribes and the Pharisees and all these guys, they knew the scriptures, they knew the prophecies about Elijah that he must come first. And that's why they're saying, why are they saying that? And so they asked him, why, why do they say these things? And, and Jesus, again, knowing, because these guys knowing that he is the Messiah, he's revealed that to them. How is it? So where's Elijah? Is he really coming? And Jesus answered and says, you're right, he is coming. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not know him. And they did, not, and they did whatever they wished. And this whole statement that he shares right here is past tense. It's already happened. So had Elijah come? Well, in verse 13 it tells us, that the disciples realize, oh, he's talking about John the Baptist. He's talking about John the Baptist. And this is what it says about John the Baptist right before he's born in Luke 1, 16 and 17. The angel telling his, his father, he says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready the preparation of the Lord. Exactly what, what, what Malachi chapter 4, the last two verses said. That he would come in that. And it's interesting because in, John, in Matthew chapter 11, as Jesus is, is eulogizing John the Baptist, he says he was more than a prophet. And then he says this in that same chapter, and if you are, if you are willing, if you can receive it, he is Elijah that was to come. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but Jesus didn't go around saying anything like that about anybody else except John the Baptist. And when you go back to, to 2 Kings chapter 2, and I was going to read it to you, but we ain't got time. But I'll just sum up. It's when Elijah, Elijah and Elijah are together. Elijah and Elisha. And Elisha says, you know, or Elijah says, hey, what do you want from me before I leave? He says, I want double of what you've got. He's going, man, you're asking a hard question. But if you see me get taken up, it will happen just as you said. And sure enough, when, when, when Elijah is taken away, Elisha sees the mantle fall. He picks up the mantle and he goes and strikes the river and it opens up. And, and, and it, it is said of him that he, was, he, 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 he had the ministry of Elijah that, that, that he came in that same spirit and power. And I don't know how that happens, but it just seems that God is able to give people the spirit of Elijah, the boldness, the, 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 the things that, that, that he was a part of. And so if the scribes and Pharisees knew all about that, 
And as Mark puts it, that it was written, it was written about Elijah like that, but it was written about Jesus the same way, that he was the Messiah, that he would be coming. And so the Old Testament is full of prophecies about Jesus, and these scribes and these Pharisees should have known that as well. To the very moment that he, he rode, on to a, rode on a donkey uh, right before he was crucified. That was prophesied down to the very second day, basically. Elijah 53 tells us how, not Elijah, Isaiah 53 tells us how he would be treated and how he would suffer. And so they knew that. Now we could say that this is, the disciples were living in the moment and they may have known some of the scriptures, but they were not scholars. Not like the scribes and the Pharisees. They were scholars. They should have known, they should have understood. But what about us this morning, guys, as we finish up right here? Most of us, just like these guys, they were common people, man. Not, not to put anybody down. We, 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 we might not be scholars in any way, but what we do have is a whole word of God that tells us everything. Everything we need to know for life today and life beyond. It shares with us everything we need to know. We get the ability to look back but the Word of God is alive and powerful today. And we have it all, guys. And I just leave you with these last two verses. Um, in, in 2 Peter or Second Timothy uh, 2.12, he says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, I shared this one with you last week. It says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord. So much in this portion of Scripture, Lord. I pray that I've been able to do it some justice, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would just, even through it all, comfort them, Lord, about life beyond the grave, Lord. Reminding them, Lord, that there is a living hope that we get to live. Lord, you showed us your glory right here. You showed these men your glory and they were never the same. Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to have the power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Lord, help us to utilize that for your glory always, Lord. Father, that we would look to you for direction and you will, you will direct our path because your word is whole. It's, it's here, Lord, that it would be embedded in our hearts and that we would walk in it, that we would do it, Lord, with the confidence, just like Peter, James, and John, Lord. They were willing to die for it, Lord, because they experienced the, the glory Lord, you've given us your glory. You've given us your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that we would walk in it. We bless you. Thank you, Lord. Father, bring salvation into this room. If there's someone who's here who is not saved, Lord, who does not know you, God, I pray that, Lord, today, Lord, they would realize that there's life beyond this place. There's only two places to go, heaven or hell. And I pray, God, that they would choose you and choose heaven, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.